A little later on the show, we'll be talking to uh, Professor Mark Mendelssohn, talking about antibiotic resistance, something that uh, we are facing right now as a globe, especially for those who are on uh, infectious diseases and the medication for those, such as HIV and uh, TB. We'll also be looking at the issue of unclaimed pension funds. Um, About 42 billion remains unclaimed by 4.8 million beneficiaries. You might be one of them. You might be, you know, one of those who are waiting to get this um, windfall of money. So make sure that you are uh, tuned in as we talk uh, to Dagalani Lukamani, who is uh, from uh, the Retirement Fund Division. And uh, yeah, right now we are talking... An issue that is quite sensitive, an issue that has a lot of Africans worried, an issue that we should be worried about because on the one hand, we are promised when your particular community or country or province has natural resources such as oil and gas, you are then going to benefit from that job opportunities will come up. But we are told that there'll be various, you know, um, you know, developments in your community. But this does not seem to be the case. We are now speaking to uh, Gillian Hamilton, who's economic researcher at Green Connection, to understand what really happens on the ground in communities within Africa that have uh, these natural resources. Thank you very much for joining us, Gillian. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Gillian, can we firstly talk about the work that you do at uh, Green Connection? Uh, so my focus has been on the economic research, focusing specifically at the socioeconomic impacts of offshore oil and gas activities. And is there any evidence that uh, countries uh, where their gas and oil resources are being exploited are then enriched or are these places and communities left, left worst off? Ooh, that's a really big question. So in the report that I've worked on, so all the research, we have looked at a number of examples, including Nigeria, Uganda, Mozambique, where the only real benefits have been for the companies that were awarded the drilling rights and the corrupt government officials, while the surrounding communities were left to suffer devastating environmental impacts, and the governments were often left in more debt as a result of the projects. Sure. This does not uh, leave us settled as African communities. I'd like to hear from you as a listener at home. Atima, I'd like to hear if you perhaps are, are, are one that has been privy to work in such communities or live in a community that has natural resources and has seen the impact or effect, positive or negative, share it with us by calling in on 011-714-2006. And uh, our guest, Gillian Hamilton as well. I'm sure she'd, she'll love to give her input on your experience. Gillian, in, in terms of uh, looking at uh, even countries like Mozambique, the northern part of Mozambique, we saw the insurgents and it seems that one of the reasons are around the natural ba- um, gas pipeline. How do we then, as an African people, make sure that we have equality, uh, correct political will, and also the private companies that come in to explore uh, these natural resources are doing right by the communities? That's sort of the million-dollar question that we call development, really, in Africa. So I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the the research. So the first part is something called the pre-source curse. 
And what we know is from lessons from, uh, sorry, there was a piece of research that was put out last year on 12 sub-Saharan African countries who'd found oil and gas deposits during the period 2001 to June 2020. And their findings were that all 12 countries fell short of forecasted expectations. So what happens, and and stop me if if this gets a bit too long-winded, is that first of all, the country, the, the companies find the oil. Then they overstate how much oil there is. Then the governments start taking out more debt and they become more indebted because they have an expectation that they'll earn an income from this oil. But there are a whole lot of factors that take place so that they don't actually earn as much as they said they were going to earn and there's usually not as much oil. And and then we have these issues like the horrific situation in Cabo Delgado um, where the economic phenomenon of the resource curse is playing out. So all these non-renewable resources have resulted in extensive investment into the region, but residents have not benefited while they lost their livelihoods and and they are unemployable. So who do we put the blame on? Who do we... Who? No, because I think when we need as society to come to a point where we call a thing a thing and say, this is where it's going wrong, this is where we need to fix it. Because right now, I mean, your research has looked at these particular nations. We want to come to a place where we can explore these natural resources and ensure everyone benefits instead of being left worse off. Who do we put a blame on? So the problem is actually... And we're going to have an ideological conversation now because really we don't think that exploiting these natural, non-renewable resources is a good idea for the most part. And and maybe when your listeners are calling in, I, I will be honest, I'm originally from Rustenburg and what happened is that we saw the same issue playing out in Rustenburg where we had this resource curse. So they exploited the platinum and we all know about the situation in Rustenburg, particularly the culmination in in the Marikana episode and the deaths of so many people. Then, if we look at a completely different situation that's not mining, so, so we have a history here in Africa of being mined, and certainly there is no example that I can cite immediately where people have benefited from the mine. So a lot of the, the money has been earned in communities and then this money is taken out often overseas because many of these companies are based overseas. But then the same thing is happening actually in the Sutu with the water situation. So there are all these villages that are around the Katse Dam and around where South Africa is buying water from the Sutu. So the Sutu is earning a substantial amount of money from their water selling and yet those people in the Sutu still live in poverty. And so... If we are to place the blame on someone, I think it's we, we have to rethink the way that we're living all over the world. So we can't just keep taking stuff out of the ground or we can't just keep taking non-renewable resources. The The issue is is bigger than just us because we we can't just blame it on governments. We know that there are private entities that are also making money off these issues. Um, and banks in particular. So I'm quite horrified. I, I will no longer bank with Standard Bank going forward because Standard Bank is going to be supporting Mozambique. But it's not just African banks that will be supporting um, 
these extraction of non-renewable resources. We know from the research that it's all these private companies start jumping in when they see a huge opportunity to make money. So I, I suppose as much as you're saying, Gillian, that you know we can't say responsibility is only on government, but we do understand that government sets the business parameters in any uh, country or continent. So for instance, in South Africa, we know in order for a company that comes internationally that needs to come in, there are certain rules and regulations that they need to adhere to in order to operate in South Africa. So perhaps there needs to be stricter um, eyes watching what happens in government in order for private companies and banks, as you have mentioned, not to exploit communities. Because in the examples that you have given, all those communities, if anyone were to pick up the phone and call now, whether in Lesotho, in Rustenburg with the Marigana issue, or in uh, Mozambique, or in Nigeria, Ghana, if they were to call in right now, none of those community members would say even the money that they were getting paid by those companies that were exploring the gas or the oil is the money that is sustainable. Because once the operation closes, that cash flow runs out. Exactly. And and certainly when we look at the impact on local municipalities in areas where things have been, where there's been resource extraction. So that's, it's, essentially what happens is there's often a boom town effect. And then there's a ghost town after after the resources have run out. And so that boom town effect leaves municipalities in a much worse off situation. And and certainly in South Africa, we know that local municipalities are really not coping. And so when they have to have extra resources for things like sewage, more housing, clinics and schools, then it's really just not a viable situation. Let's go to some of our A-teamers who'd like to uh, weigh in on our conversation. Remember, you can uh, call in on 011-714-2006. On Twitter, at SAFM Radio, hashtag SAFM Talking Point. My name is Patricia Anduli. I'm standing in for Kathy. On the line, our guest is uh, Gillian Hamilton, who's an economic researcher at Green Connection. We are talking about exploitation of oil and gas resources in Africa, which makes lives worse for communities in those areas, according to research. And I think if you've traveled a bit around the continent, you'll know that this research is true. Emmanuel in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning, Patricia, and good morning to your guests and SAF listeners. Patricia, let us take example of Nigeria. If you go to the southeastern area where you call the river state in Nigeria, where oil is exploited, the locals there, they cannot plant. If you if you bring if you send them the best fertilizer in this world, nothing can grow out of their land. Their stream they cannot drink from their stream and rivers. The fishes are dead. The reason is because the government of that area and of Nigeria, they have sold that community to the foreign investors there that are exploiting the oil. So this is not a problem of the people. It is a problem of the government. Because you cannot go to China now. You want to do any project. The China government, the Chinese government will give you rules and regulations which you have to abide. Why are explorers in Africa not, not abiding? Look at Marikana. If they tell you that the the, the, the condition of you look at the condition of people there and you see what the companies they are getting every year 
you you shake your head and said, how can these people live in this condition and yet the company is making this kind of money? So the problem lies with our African leaders that have sold their citizens, their country, to this foreign country. So every, we, 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 we don't need too much expertise to, to arrive at that conclusion. Our government, we don't have a government in Africa. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are just uh, an animal kingdom here. Thank you very much. Emmanuel, before uh, you go, I want to find out from you. So in River State, if you say the communities there cannot plant, so they, they, they can't do farming, their land has been, you know, destroyed from all these exploitations. How then are they making a living? You see, that is, you see, that is where you have, if you, if, if you remember, these uh, Ogoni people that rise up in Nigeria. It is because of that problem. Because now they don't have anything. The, so survivors, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, I don't know why. It's, it's, it's an animalistic kind of survival because you have to, like, eat yourselves, you know, to survive. Because there's practically nothing there. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you. This is the dire situation that we are facing as Africans. Now, Gillian, on the point that uh, um, Emmanuel has made, um, from your research, would you say that uh, it is still, you know, something that we need to look at, the, the, the climate impact of these operations, whether it's gas, it's mining, it's uh, oil, it's whatever it is, the climate impact, the negativity it has on people's health. Do we still need more research on it? Or is there enough research that can prove that some of these operations need to be closed down? So thank you, Patricia. Emmanuel, I just wanted to say thank you very much for, for your call. The the research report that we have written is actually called Silence Would Be Treason from the Ogoni Nine and Ken Sarawira, who was murdered because he was standing up for the Ogoni people. And I also wanted to say to all the listeners that I've actually I've been to Port Harcourt in Nigeria. And when you fly in, it is absolutely gorgeous. It reminds me of Thailand as you fly in. It's green and lush and gorgeous. And then when you get closer to Poor Harcourt and to, and to the destruction and devastation that, that has been left by the oil industry, it is so horrific. And people are so poor there. So I certainly hear you. And there's definitely an issue around governance that we look at. But it doesn't seem that this issue is going to go away, that this perpetuates itself in all places where they find non-renewable resources. Um, and then, Patricia, to come back to your question on climate change, climate, there is an enormous impact from climate change. And certainly for South Africa, I'm not going to speak a lot about the actual environmental side of climate change because my colleague Jan is doing a big piece of research on that and he'll present that on Thursday. So that's a report that will be released this coming week. But the financial impact from climate change is that we can be sure that the fishing community will be affected because the the fish the climate change changes what's happening in the ocean and the weather patterns, and so there is a decline in fish stocks. Then the the other financial impacts are not just from from the actual industries that are impacted, but also things like stranded assets and transition risk because South Africa currently if we this is if we don't 
go into the oil and gas industry. We currently have something called a transition risk of 120 US billion dollars. And that is no small amount that we're going to have to spend to change the way we are doing things because of climate change. Sure. Let me go to Vuyiswa, who's in Parktown. Vuyiswa, good morning. Good morning, Vuyiswa. Vuyiswa, can you hear us? Okay, it seems there's an issue with Reese's line. Um, let me read some of the messages here. Uh, you know, everyone is concerned, but the champ in Pulugwana says, minerals, exploitation of Africa is common knowledge. Government are the problem. Could we please discuss the solution, mobilize the masses and the change needed? We will come back after the news headline. Gillian uh, Hamilton is our guest. She's an economic researcher at Green Connection. And I hope that we can get to some solutions. Solutions, solutions, solutions is what we need. And hopefully after that, we will be back on the line with us. Let's go straight to Tzile Sako. SAFM, setting the nationwide agenda daily. Daily. You are live on SFM, leading the conversation on 104 to 107 nationwide, DSTV Channel 814. We are currently looking at the issue of exploitation of oil and gas resources within Africa and what happens in those communities after these projects have taken place. Most of the time, and according to research from Green Connection, it seems that the communities are left worse off. Call in on 011-714-2006 to weigh in on this conversation. Conversation, or you can send uh, WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. On Twitter, get us at SFM Radio, hashtag SFM Talking Point. Our guest is Gillian Hamilton. Gillian, let's talk solutions. Are they solutions? Can we get ourselves at a point as, as communities where we say enough is enough? We need to change the way things are governed when it comes to exploitation of our natural resources. We need to uplift our communities from whatever projects that come in. And we need to be cognizant of climate change and what happens after the negative impact of these um, projects has uh, taken place. So, Patricia, I just wanted to say something to the caller or the listener in Polokwani. I know that we're focusing here on the offshore oil and gas industry, but in the Limpopo area, the, there is an attempt to, to develop more coal mines and put up a huge coal-powered fire station under the Messina Mercado Special Economic Zone. And really what we see, just like with the oil and gas um, industry, is that this is very old-fashioned thinking. There are newer solutions out there. One of them is renewable energy. The other one is about how we are currently living our lives. We don't need everything that we that is available in the world. We do have to rethink and start thinking about the way our ancestors live and the way elders live, which is less stuff around us. Um, and I know that it is a huge mind change, especially for communities who already don't have that much stuff. But there are some thinking. There are some people out there who are thinking about theories of something called degrowth, and then the other one is looking at localization models. So, how do we make sure the people in an area have everything that they need? Not everything they want, but everything they need. So, food and clothing and homes and access to medical care, so that things are more equitable throughout South Africa. 
And there's a lady who is working, an economist working in the UK, who is implementing something called the donut economics model. And in actual fact, the city of Amsterdam is busy developing a plan along those lines to try and think about the same things. How do we make sure people have what they need so that they can live a good life? But we do not need too much. Let me go to Vuyiswa in Parktown. Aitima Vuyiswa, good morning. Yes, thanks Patricia for taking my call. And uh, thanks for your guest uh, for bringing this up. But um, uh, you know what? The problem that we have, I've also done research uh, in the entire continent, trying to find out why are we suffering, yet our continent is, 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 is a lot of abundance in minerals and, and other things, land. The, the main culprit here is, is the white people, it's the Western world. They are the ones who need to sit down and sort their, their housing order because they are the main thieves. You know that they come and plunder and use these poor, these stupid leaders of, of the continent and elites in the, in the country. How, how can you fly 15,000 15, kilometers or more just to come and exploit people you don't know and you don't laugh? That's where the problem begins. And then you go and, and then you come back, do a research and tell us that the poor countries and they, this is where the problem is. The problem is in the Western powers. They must just go and sit down and stop stealing, finish and clarify and oppressing others, and exploiting other lands that are not theirs. Right now, I'll be arrested if I'm found with gold because I don't have a license. But someone has flown 15,000 kilometers, has no connection with the land, he has so much gold in his house. And these are the things that must stop right now what's happening in Capo Delgado and elsewhere in the continent. It is the Western world that's behind that. And then they call other thieves and other corrupt groups that come into the country and cause, into the, in the continent and cause all these problems that we are having. The main problem here are oppressors. They are still oppressing us. It's the white world. And they are the ones in the front of research. We do research. We don't have funds you know, to complete our research or to uh, have them, like they have the opportunity right now. She is here. It's the very research that I've done. But because I'm... Thank you very much, Vuyi. So uh, let, let me get a response from you, um, uh, Gillian, around what Vuyi has said. You know, I don't disagree with Vuyi It's definitely true that there is the Western world that has benefited and yet Africans have not. And... In the same breath, why are we as Africans not saying we refuse to let you in? And I think we are seeing that. So the community of Tolobeni has done a great job of raising awareness and of saying we don't want you in our land. We don't see the benefits and we we will not allow you to come in and mine our land. And I think the rest of us need to do the same thing and say we don't want you here. And and very much the the work that Green Connection is doing is about supporting the fisher communities along the coastline so that they are able to also stand up and say, we don't want this offshore oil and gas. It's not something that's going to work for us. It'll have a a destruction in our way of lives and our connection to the ocean. And so definitely, I 100% agree with you. How can we think that it's okay for countries to come in and take stuff and then call us poor and that's just not right. Let's go to some of uh, the voice notes that our A-teamers have sent. 
Good morning, Patricia. It's Simon in Pretoria. Patricia, thank you for the conversation uh, regarding uh, resources. One of the things that we are not looking into perspective is these tech companies, these billionaires like Elon Musk. Uh, the problem is we have destroyed our ecosystem here due to our greediness. And now, in the future, we are looking at a situation we are going to have to destroy the whole solar system because we are trying to get to Mars to planet that innocent planet out of its resources. And we don't see it. Uh, we, we think it's technological advancement, but that is very bad. You know, we just have to leave that planet alone. Good morning, Patricia. I would like to remain anonymous because we are currently facing the same problem. Companies are coming to our land, the land that we were given by the government is a communal land. They're coming to our land and they're paying off our leaders for, so that they can acquire our land fraudulently. And we, we are afraid because now we are, we are afraid to be killed. You know, these, these kinds of negotiations are volatile. These kind of deals are volatile. From where I'm looking, the community is not going to gain anything. They're just going to buy a piece of land for a small amount of money, but not the minerals underneath. The problem of resources is not only big corporates and private companies. The local chiefs and indunas also want to benefit from this revenue, control this revenue, cut out the rest of the community. That is where the problem lies, KJ. Well, uh, as we uh, wrap up, Gillian, could you just give us your response to what our listeners have said and also perhaps how we as community can aid the work that you are doing as um, Green Connection and other institutions like yours? I really love all the input that people have given us. This has been a really interesting morning. So thank you, everybody. Um, and yes, definitely, there is an issue around our local chiefs and indunas and this need for power. I, I think I read somewhere that in Mozambique they call this goat money because it's really the rentier state and how, who do you pay so that you can keep your power and who do you share your spoils with? And that's really something that we need to stand up to as communities. Um, and to, it would be really great for those of you who are on Twitter or who have access to the internet to go onto our website, which is thegreenconnection.org.za, and to to have a voice. And then within your own communities, start saying, this is not how we want to live. We need to leave something for our grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren. And how do we do that in a responsible way? And so... Please stand up to people and, and say something and participate in these conversations. It's really fabulous to have everybody's voices here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gillian. Looking forward to more reports from Green Connection.